Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes, we do. This week, Ink Heart by Cornelia Funka. The sound of ink. <laughs> I need. <laughs> it's like in a splurt. It's like in a manga where there's like a non-translatable. Like an octopus or something? No, no. Where there's a non-translatable kanji and the mm. editor, like the oh, translator yeah, just and they like subtitle it, it basically. Yeah, like, yep. The sound of bones. <laughs> So the sound that's, of ink. That's the episode sound effect. Yes. Um, we have become self-proclaimed funky heads over the last couple of years. Um, funka? Funka heads. Funka heads. <laughs> I just wanted to make it sound like funky heads. So funky heads. Funky heads. <laughs> <laughs> that's really weird. That's going to be our spinoff podcast, the funky heads. <laughs> For Cornelia Fuca's books. Um, we do have another episode on the Thief Lord and one on Dragon Riders. So if you're interested, check those out or stick with us to dig into this much more complicated book. <laughs> this is way less complicated or way more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I was, I've also never read this book. I thought I had before, but I, upon revisiting, discovered I had not. We did just cover another metafiction book in yeah. which characters and readers and writers commingle. And here we are again. Yeah, right away. Um, immediately. <laughs> yeah. By accident. So uh, join us. Hello. <laughs> this book was published originally in 2003. And it was translated and published in English in 2005. I read this when I was, because it was published in English when I was in high school. Okay. So like I read it after I think the intended audience age. I don't know. I also yeah. have like confused memories about this book. Yeah. And I'm also confused because I <laughs> thought it was an entirely different book. And I have so many vivid memories of seeing this book around the house for forever, for years and years. Yeah. Like this very distinctive cover, yeah. but apparently I never actually read it. Yeah, and I mean, this is one of our best introductions to an episode ever. Just us being like, I'm confused. I don't know. What's a book anyway? What's happening? <laughs> Have we ever read any books? <laughs> so we will just proceed as usual, and hopefully we can untangle all these little threads along the way. Maybe we're losing our ability to read like Capricorn's Men. Exactly. I'm very afraid that that might That's be That's not going to be good for our podcast. <laughs> we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this before or haven't revisited it in a while, um, I would recommend that you go check it out. We would also recommend uh, that you go the written physical book route rather than the audiobook. Yeah. There are, we like just discovered five minutes ago, I listened to the audiobook, which is not read by Brendan Fraser. I'm sorry if I may have implied that it was. That was bad intel. In a previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does read the sequel. He reads the sequel. And he spell. reads a different one of... Uh, he narrated Dragon Rider. Yes. Yep. Um I can't remember what I was going to say. So each of the chapters in the printed version has a lovely epigraph at the beginning um, from another one of the works that Maggie and her father love and discuss. So we have quotes from 
Lord of the Rings, um, from The Borables, which are books that I have also read and totally forgot, um, but that's a story for another day. Um, but these are only From in- Treasure Island, from oh, yeah. uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of a bunch of Charles Dickens and it's really fun to have those quotes and they also really wonderfully interplay with what's happening in each chapter. I said something about this to Madeline and she was like, what? Okay. <laughs> because the audiobook doesn't have these. Yes, which really sucks because there's even quotes from Lord of the Rings, which is my favorite. They're lovely. And we're assuming this is because they couldn't get the rights to the audio versions of those passages from these books, yeah, but we're able to get them for the print. Which is really a huge bummer because they're an important part of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really lovely little illustrations at the end of each chapter that are by Cornelia Funka that also I think are um, meant to, oh, here's a fun one of two knights fighting and like eagle heads. Um, and I think they're meant to feel like illuminations from yeah. Inkheart itself um, and really help draw you in. Um, yeah. So for this one, definitely go for an ebook or a copy from your local library if they're allowing you to enter. <laughs> Or have some kind of sophisticated holds pickup system, as the Seattle Public Library does. Okay, so Madeline's already hinted at this, um, but we did have a mysterious copy of Inkheart that floated around our mom's house. Um, I think someone gave it to Patrick for Christmas. I think that's exactly what I was about to say. Doesn't like it was a gift for our younger brother, so that's why it never left its spot in his room. Who we've mentioned before, and who guessed it on our never-ending no. Yeah, it was our never-ending story episode, right? Yeah, I think it was a gift for our brother who's not a big fan of reading. <laughs> um, sorry, Patrick. It's okay. He Actually, I'm not sorry because he's either. also not a big fan of podcasts. <laughs> He'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> the secret reason we started this podcast. Revenge. <laughs> what for? We don't know. Um, but... Yeah, I did. I did read it <laughs> at some point. Glad we came to that conclusion. Um, I yeah, I read. I definitely read this when I was in high school. Um, and the copy that I got from the library has the same cover as the edition that we had. Um, oh my gosh! On the inside of the front flap, at the bottom, it says "Dare to read it aloud." <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of amazing. <laughs> that is pretty fun. Um, this jacket design is, the jacket art is by Carol Lawson. It is a beautiful painting. It looks so cool. Um, this this has always been just like top tier cover art. Yeah. Um, this cover has remained indelible in my mind. And when a listener mentioned Inkheart in an email request, um, as soon as I saw the cover, I just wanted to hold it in my hands again. Um, It has a maroon backdrop with gold detailing as if it's the cover of a fine volume. Um, And there are little creatures around the edges. So there's a spider, a lizard, a fairy, some beetles, gold coins, pearls, shells, a key. (laughs) And then that surrounds... It looks like it, an I Spy page, kind of. No, it does. Yeah. It totally does. Yeah, those those books that were popular in the 90s yeah. um, that were like really lush photographs crammed with different items mm-hmm. and you were supposed to find different specific things. Yeah. And then in the center, 
there's a cutout that shows a view into a world with a desolate village. Capricorn's village has haunt and some dead trees. And there's a little hand yeah, coming out that's merging the two, the outside of the book and the interior of the book, which obviously the plot is very concerned with. <laughs> and there's a tiny Gwyn and he's blepping. What? <laughs> Which is magnificent. Gwyn is the horned Martin that is uh, Dustfinger's little friend. That's so cute. I was actually just trying to draw Gwyn. It's not going well, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, depending on the outcome, maybe we'll put that up on our website, Mm -hmm. dragonbabiespodcast.com. So, yeah, excellent, excellent cover and it's kind of fascinating that the cover is so compelling that it made you think that you had read it. Before. <laughs> I never read it. <laughs> and it stood out in my mind, even though I only read this once. I don't remember it super well. I probably read it pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, it, I think I kept thinking of this as like a Harry Potter book. And I don't know if... Let me explain. It did feel a little... No, because it's like super character driven. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of story. But not that much really... Like, I don't really know how to put it. It's very... It was reminiscent for me. Yes. I'll just leave it there for now. It It just feels like there's a lot of plot to get through, but it's more about the characters than the plot. Yeah. Yeah, and the characters themselves are the plot because they're not supposed to exist. Right. It's the character-driven plot. like <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's tiptoe our way into a plot summary. Um, like we've mentioned a few times now, it is a long book, over 500 pages, and we won't say every single thing that happens um but let's get a good idea of the events that take place at the beginning of the book maggie who is 12 is uh, with her father mo she looks out the window and sees a she she sees a guy outside who grace Mm. did not think was super scary but i saw as frightening throughout the book (laughs) And uh, he's definitely ominous in that opening scene, for sure. If you've ever uh, played the game Pathologic 1 or 2, I thought of him as one of the worm uh, guys or the worms. I forget if, like, there's just one of him or if there's more of him uh, who is, like, really weird and scary looking. Um, I, I, however, pictured him as, like, a Robin Hood type scamp. Yep. So... So (laughs) differences there who played him in the film adaptation paul bettany i looked oh it my up god. <laughs> amazing okay so definitely more along <laughs> my lines than yours <laughs> amazing okay i'm sorry please continue um and uh, i was just thinking about him today <laughs> just finger has g- such a wild name um but he, he comes into the house and you it takes a long time in this book before you find out what's going on. Let me put that out there, too. Um, I think it's like well over halfway through before you actually understand everything that's happening, like who all, all the players are and like... Oh my god, that far in. I had no idea what was happening until like well into the book. 
I did, I did not understand. So maybe, maybe I just had trouble following. Um, but just like about like, who is Dustfinger? Who is Capricorn? Like, where do these people all come from? I, f- I just felt like the stage setting continued to like pretty far into the book. Um, so because at first it's just Mo and Dustfinger, uh, Dustfinger is calling Mo silver tongue. Um, they are talking about like a book and a man named Capricorn um, and uh, that Capricorn is looking for him and he's probably going to hurt him and is not explained. Next day they go to um, Aunt Eleanor's house and Eleanor is uh, the aunt of Moe's wife. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's uh, Maggie's great aunt. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, she's really, really into books. Her house is full of old, classic, expensive books. Uh, she has financial trouble because she spends all of her money on books. She and has an advanced security system for a particularly sacred library. So Mo takes Maggie to uh, Eleanor's house. He is a bookbinder. That's his trade. So he's he's there under that guys. Um, guys. But I think he also uses that to make money. Like it seems important to. Oh no, like, that's that is his, his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why he says he's at Eleanor's. But then he yes. asks her so to hide cover. the book mm-hmm. in her special secret book vault. When they go to Eleanor's, uh, Mo also brings with them this book. It's the book that. Um, Dustfinger was talking about saying like Capricorn's going to kill you. He wants the book. He's looking for you. And uh, Mo takes it with him to Eleanor's and we, we don't have any idea what the book is. Like he just, Maggie sees uh, um, Mo talking to Eleanor saying like, Hey, hold on to this book. Um, and uh, that's all you know about it. Dustfinger is there. He uh, got picked up when they were going there. He basically said, eh, you're going to piss Capricorn off. I don't, I want to get out of town. I don't want to be around with him. Um, I was baffled by Mo allowing Dustfinger to join them. Um, I guess like the, uh, the point being that if he didn't let them join, then he would probably tell on them to Capricorn, but I didn't, I didn't really think that was explicit. It becomes clear that Dustfinger is there to be a secret agent for Capricorn. Yeah. Um, there is a point uh, where Maggie goes outside at night um, to meet Dustfinger because in addition to being good with animals, he has Gwyn, um, who is a Martin with wool horns. It was really cute. Um, and he's also a like fire eater dancer, you know. He do, he does like match tricks, and um, he has very good command over fire. It's yeah. it seems like he was some sort of like traveling tinkerers, circus arts type person. Um, so when Dustfinger's out at night with Maggie and uh, uh, Gwen, <laughs> is don't forget Gwen. <laughs> um, that is when when Dustfinger takes Maggie outside with him. That's when Capricorn and Basta, who is like Capricorn's man, um, suddenly turn up at Eleanor's, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so Mo gets captured and taken away. 
Um, Mo gets captured and taken away. They think that he has that book with him, but then Maggie, before she was about to run away, um, sees that she was going to go run away and find Mo, her dad. She sees that Eleanor actually kept the book. Um, and Eleanor doesn't know that the book is magic, mm-hmm. unlike Mo, Dustfinger, or they don't know that magic can be done with the book. Yeah. Maggie and Eleanor both. Or that it's connected to any of the people that they're dealing with. Yeah. And I don't remember how um, Maggie finds out about the book. I don't remember if Mo like talks about it when he's being captured and she Pretty hears sure Dustfinger tells her after Mo is kidnapped. Okay. Okay. So Dustfinger tells her. Um, and uh, what had happened is Mo was reading Inkheart aloud to Maggie's mother, whose name is Teresa, um, when uh, Capricorn, Basta, and Dustfinger are read out of the book into our world, and Teresa, Maggie's mother, and um, Mo's wife gets read into the book. So they like flip flop. Uh, and then uh, that's when Mo and Capricorn and Basta and Dustfinger's drama starts because at first Capricorn um, wants to go back, but then he decides he doesn't want to go back. He wants to live in this world. Mm-hmm. I think then we go to uh, uh, Capricorn's village, mm-hmm. right? So Capricorn's village is this like huge, sad, bummer place. Yeah. Um, there's like an infestation of snakes. Uh, there are people there that Capricorn has had a different reader who I don't remember how he finds him, um, Darius. Yeah, he was. He said he was a teacher in a town nearby. Okay. And they basically kidnapped him and forced him to come try to read things out of books the way that Mo can. And he can only do it like halfway. Because like he kind scared. of scrambles stuff. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it's mostly because he's so freaked out that he can never really read in a confident, commanding way. So everyone that he brings out has something kind of wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's also a number of other henchmen there, um, including Flatnose and Fanoglio uh, uh, hasn't got brought. The magpie uh, is like Capricorn's number one lady. Um, and they're, they're all his servants. Yeah. I mean, they're all kind of like his slaves, basically. Uh, and but- he has a very commanding uh, control over all of them. That's like part charisma, part threat of violence. Mm -hmm. Then uh, um, Capricorn tells Mo, like, this is what I want. I want you to read me um, good things out of, like, I want you to read me treasure out of books. I want you to read me everything I want. So, like, you'll make me super powerful and you have to do what I tell you. And he says he has a friend that's still in Inkheart that he wants him to bring out. Yeah, but the first the first thing he has Mo do is read Treasure out of Treasure Island. Um, and then Mo is reading Tales from a Thousand and One Nights, and a boy gets read out of the book whose name is Fareed. Um, and at this point, I don't know if we mentioned, but Eleanor and Maggie have been kidnapped and are also present watching this happen. And they're all being kept in a cow shed. In yeah, the they they try to come and save Mo, and it was a really poorly conceived plan. They, yeah. they get captured like right away um eleanor keeps thinking that like going to the police will help them and if you just approach situations with a level head everything will be okay yeah that is not the case again and again and also um capricorn has 
bought all the cops in the surrounding towns. Yes. Um, and uh, Dustfinger does uh, help save them when they're all prisoners at this point. Um, and uh, Mo escapes as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone kind they of They all go to that little coastal town yeah. and stay at a hotel. Yes. Um, so, and then Eleanor has her secret credit card, which she hid, um, when Capricorn took all of their money so she can, uh, buy them like necessities. Um, Fareed and Dustfinger bond and Dustfinger is teaching Fareed. Against Dustfinger's wishes. Yeah, Dustfinger's not really into it, but he starts teaching Fareed how to do the fire. Um, and this is the point at which Dustfinger, Fareed, Maggie, and Mo. um, all go to Finoglio's house because they find out, like, okay, the author of this book, Inkart, is around. Let's go talk to him and just, like, see what's going on there. See if see if the, he has a copy of the book, especially. Um, Dustfinger still wants a copy of the book. Because he's trying to go home. And at this point, yeah. all the other copies have been burned. I don't know if we mentioned that. Because Capricorn was gathering all of the books and he does like a, a Joker thing from mm-hmm. uh, Dark Knight and sets all of the books on fire because mm-hmm. he's like, I never want to go back. I want to stay here. And Eleanor goes home during this time. Um, she didn't want to go to Finolio's house, but Mo and Maggie are with Finolio. Mo's going to fix his books. They're like kind of starting to tell him what's going on. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, when Eleanor goes home, all of her books are like burned and destroyed. There's a dead rooster hanging from the ceiling because it's Capricorn's calling card. Um, and then uh, Besta and Flatnose re-kidnap Finolio and Maggie, take them to see... Well, it's Finolio's first kidnapping. <laughs> right, right. So Maggie's second. <laughs> first time for Finolio, but second for Maggie. Um, and uh, Finolio now knows, like, what's going on, so he tries to, like, reveal Capricorn's past. Um, and uh, Capricorn, like, kind of gets mad, but then he's like, ah, I don't care, go to the dungeons with you. And... Uh, that's where Maggie reads Peter Pan in front of Finolio and Tinkerbell comes out of Peter Pan. So mm-hmm. Maggie finds out that she has the power as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, does like, Tinkerbell ends up being kind of a jerk, which like is correct. She's a jerk. In <laughs> That's the book. accurate. Yeah, she's not like a cute, sexy little. Uh, she's not a Disney Disney character. pixie. Like no. she's actually uh, like a, a mean pixie who mm-hmm. plays tricks Miss, and is Miss selfish. <laughs> yeah. Farid and Dustfinger are on the rescue train. Uh, not an actual train. I mean that metaphorically. So Dustfinger. Finds Riza um, in the town. They they come back to the town where the captives are being held. And at this point, they're just trying to get a copy of the book. Right, Dustfinger right. doesn't He's even know that Maggie's tr- right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, he and he like keeps maintaining this sort of facade of like, I don't care about anyone. I'm just doing my own thing. I'm not going to help them. Mm-hmm. But Risa is Dustfinger's friend. She's been a maid of Capricorns for a while. Um, they make a plan to get a copy of Inkheart from Capricorn because he still has one copy. Um, 
but it goes poorly and then Dustfinger and Farid end up back in the woods hiding again. Maggie also brings the tin soldier to life, um, which is from a Hans Christian Andersen story. Really depressing story. Yeah, it's a really depressing story. Um, the magpie. Probably uh, one of my least favorites. When I got yeah, to no, that, I was like, no, I don't want to think about this. I've spent decades the, pushing this out yeah, of my brain. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, so uh, Finolio ends up with a paper and pen he writes a happier story for the tin soldier and then maggie reads him back into the book correct yep that's into their the test happy story to see yeah. if they can change mm-hmm. the fate of these characters but still read them back into their proper worlds mm-hmm. yes um and then gwyn is also around being like a note passer don't forget gwyn because at this point mo has also shown back up and dustfinger and farid intercept him and Eleanor and tie them up because they're like you can't just burst into the village and save everyone it's not going to work so we're going to keep gathering information and figuring out what to do yeah because that's when they go back to Risa again and then Dustfinger and Risa are, are imprisoned okay and you hear like everyone hears shots in the night which is used for a lot of um uh, dissembling like there's lying about what the shooting was but only Fareed was the one that actually got injured by a bullet um, and no one was actually shooting at him they were shooting at cats correct and that's how they're able to pretend like they died okay Eleanor gets caught put in the crypt with Risa as well uh, and Eleanor recognizes her she notices that this is Maggie's mother and Mo's wife because she's Eleanor's niece. Yeah. And she was read into the book by Mo, but then Darius read her back out of it. Which is why she can't talk because Darius uh, messed it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it could have been worse. Like, she can still write. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, so capricorn's plan now is to have Mo read the shadow. Um, They're like everyone read the shadow into this world and uh, uh, Capricorn is going to have a bunch of people executed. The shadow is Capricorn's personal like Balrog. Yeah. Wikipedia says that it's a, um, the, a nothing analog, like the nothing from mm. uh, never ending story. I thought he was a dog at first and then they started talking more about him and I was like, okay, he's, yeah, not, I pictured, he's not a dog. I pictured more of just like a shadow and flame yeah, like, like a Balrog sort of type deal, like you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A Balrog. Yes. So the counter plan there is for Finolio to write a like counter curse. Um, and that way, Maggie will read that instead of the actual text for the shadow. Mm-hmm. And like that will help them all. Uh she she meets her mom before the ceremony, before like the execution ceremony. And during the ceremony, or like right before the ceremony, um, Farid and Mo set Capricorn's house on fire. And the fire is kind of like all over the place and it's causing trouble and confusion. Um, but because of that confusion, she was able to switch out the actual book for Finolio's new story. Um, and like she uh, 
brings the shadow into the world, but completely turns it against Capricorn uh, by like just assigning it against him to seek vengeance. Um, and then and Capricorn dies immediately, but Maggie Mo can't reads, read it herself because she can't kill someone. Yeah. So Mo kills Capricorn by reading um, the part where he dies. So Maggie then turns the shadow, which is supposed to be made up of all of the ashes of the creatures and people that Capricorn has killed. Um, so she turns it back into those people, uh, which creates this menagerie of magical creatures who decide to go home with Eleanor, who now has a lot of empty space. Yeah. Because her books are gone. And an interest in maybe having some company. Yeah, yeah. So that was a good way to tie up that end, I thought. Um, and uh, Maggie, Moe, Risa, and Darius all go to Eleanor's to uh, live there. Like, the book ends by saying, like, yay, we all get to live here in this, like, magical castle yeah. filled with magical creatures and together. Gwyn, Dustfinger, and Fareed leave in the night after Dustfinger steals the last remaining copy of Inkar from Mo. Credits roll. <laughs> thank you, Madeline. Good job. And thank you, the Wikipedia summary, which I used as a cliff's note. Like we mentioned briefly, this is the first book in a series. Um, yeah. Ink Spell came out in 2005 and Ink Death in 2007. And apparently there was a fourth book released. Um, in, just No, it's not released yet. Oh, I see. It was announced. just announced. It will be released this year in German. Um, and the English title is The Color of Revenge. So this is a story that's still being written. Yeah, Color of Revenge sounds very serious. I also liked the ending note from Maggie that she had decided she wanted to be a writer yeah, um, so that she can truly create her own worlds. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I thought that was great, too. Um, so should we cover old new impressions and then stop? Yes. Or, okay. I think Because it, it, it should be pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, so on to our segment, old and new impressions. Um I, like I mentioned, I don't have strong memories of this book. And what I did remember, I just like thought this was more of a romp than it is. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I can see the glimmers of that within the book yeah. and the pieces that I think especially there are parts that remind me of Cornelia Funke's book, The Thief Lord, which is set in Venice and which I loved very much, which is yeah. very much about like the beauty of the city and the lure of the sea and like eating a gigantic ice cream by the water. <laughs> there are moments of that in here, but it's really pervaded throughout by Maggie's constant anxiety um, at being separated from her father multiple times yeah. at whether he's okay at whether she's going to be okay. Um, trying to figure out how to resolve this pretty horrifying situation that they find themselves in yeah. and dealing with the very real present and dangerous threats that are against her. Um, because these, I realize rereading it now, um, that fascinatingly, this is a book about what happens when the bad characters come out. Yeah. And, and when they're like on top like they they're winning for most of this book. I thought that one of the most chilling parts of the book is when Capricorn is first forcing Mo to read for him and he had asked Darius to select books that are about treasure. 
Mm-hmm. And he brings out a group of books and on the top is Treasure Island. And Maggie's like, not that one, because they don't want Long John Silver to come out of it. And shoot everyone. And you just think about, well, and he's a really scary character. Have you read Treasure Island? I mean, uh, Muppet, Muppet Treasure, Treasure Island. <laughs> I've seen Muppet Treasure Island. Just, yeah, like psychotic, charismatic, bloodthirsty, very frightening. Yeah, I mean, um, he was a pirate lord, so... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and not always played by Tim Curry as he is so wonderfully yeah, in Muppet that's Treasure Island. That's why I was like, like what are you talking about? Him. He's lovely in Muppet Treasure Island. Um, so, yeah, and, and just that there's so many books like this that are aimed at young readers where it's like, wouldn't it be fun if characters could come to life? But even when there are bad characters that come to life, it's like something that's really manageable. You know, it's like a small monster that they just have to defeat or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. The, this book released a band of um, dangerous sociopaths into a new world. And, and there's, Capricorn's and, really smart and capable. Yes, yeah. yeah. Which um, is the scariest thing. And he's able to turn people to him through fear. Um, fear and also like brainwashing essentially because he finds young boys to yeah. bring into his camp who are also like in abusive households or don't um, have families um, and basically, you know, tells them like, okay, it's me now. And so they have no other like experience of Mm -hmm. any kind of attention, affection, love, anything like that. Um, Pretty dark. And there's a lot about the wider reaching ramifications of bringing these characters into their world um, and the responsibility that Mo feels for doing that. Um, More disturbingly, this is probably what I was most upset by on rereading, but I found Fenolio to be a very disturbing and sinister character because Mm. he kept reveling in how dangerous and craven and heartless his creations were yeah and he had like satisfied by it yeah and he definitely had a bit of a god complex and like even at the end when they've imprisoned him and like beaten him and stuff he's still saying to meggie like i'm an enchanter of words i can do anything like he's still very full of himself um and it is interesting too that i feel like he's getting a bit of a punishment in the end because he is he disappears while he gets put into his own so he's in his book now yeah um and we don't know exactly who went back into the book and who died or who ran away of the henchmen at least right we know capricorn's Um, dead we know capricorn's dead basta he ran away he stays in our world yeah yeah. he stays in the real world in which Encart was written um and there's just i don't know there's a lot of like there's a lot of sadness um it's a really dark there's book. this the imprisonment and separation of maggie's mom and mo's wife teresa so also sad. known as risa yeah. um and when she comes back she can't speak um but she also says that she did enjoy being in the book to some extent because at that point capricorn had been read out of it right <laughs> so that worked yeah. well um but there were also wonderful magical things things about the book you know it had good and bad um so I, I guess I wouldn't be so down on Fenolio if he weren't so set on being like look at what I've created yeah. they're perfect because they're so evil yeah no that's a good point but that was something that I really fixated on on reread yeah um the mom story was really sad uh I found I was really annoyed by Mo. 
in this book, interestingly. Um, I just felt like huh. he, all he did was nothing. Like that was the most he did was the omission of X. And uh, I didn't understand why he didn't take a more active role in things. I appreciated when he killed Capricorn at the end. That was necessary um, because yeah. he was the one that had brought him forth. Uh, but I just, especially like when Dustfinger at the very beginning, he's like being scary and telling Maggie about mm -hmm. Capricorn and Mo says nothing. I think, yeah, I, I agree. He has a weird character, especially as um, a sort of secondary protagonist. Mm -hmm. I mean, Maggie is definitely the protagonist, but then I'd argue Dustfinger is the next most important character, That's and we true. do switch perspective throughout the book. Yeah. So we get passages that are from Eleanor's point of view, too. Um, but I think Mo, I think it's because Mo's kind of a broken man. Yeah. I, don't I definitely think, get that feeling from him. I don't think he can he's because he's, he's so afraid and yeah. he's already lost his wife. Um, and now he is so scared that he's going to lose his daughter. Yeah. So like time and time again, all he can do is sort of react. Like he's never really in a position of confidence or power where yeah. he feels like he can really come up with a cleverer approach. He does give Fenolio the idea that they could change the story. Yeah. Um, so that, that was his, that, you know, the genesis of that came from Mo, but like, I feel like all he can do, yeah, is like keep moving, run away, try to hide. Um, he also has that sort of like blind parental rage and protectiveness yeah. that um, Maggie evokes and they, Capricorn and his men constantly have her as a prisoner. Yeah. So I don't really think he's like in possession of his full faculties because he's just super stressed out about that. But That's he's true. a pretty dark character. I, yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he has a much outside of his relationship with his daughter. No, that's super important to him, but that's like all he has. Like and he, he, I mean, he loves books and he loves the work that he does on them, but like he can't read a book aloud because he's terrified of what might happen. Mm -hmm. And there's just like everything that he enjoys, I feel like has this tinge to it because like yeah. Maggie reminds him of his wife and he is so he's so uncertain about what could happen. Um, and I can't believe he spends nine years on the run. Yeah. Nine years is a lot. <laughs> and also Maggie doesn't go to school for this entire yes! book. Yeah. Maggie, well, which is part just of supposed like, to go to, to school the next day at the very beginning. And it's like, Oh, that is not happening. No, we're going to go. Well, that's definitely like some child wish fulfillment that mm -hmm. you can just like go do whatever you want and school doesn't make you have to like come back to reality yeah for sure yeah um yeah i think it's it's not the book that i expected it to be no. um yeah i thought it was going to be very different i did really enjoy it though it was like a more realistic version of this type of escapist story the, the great good thing well, right. Yeah. Our last episode was on The Great Good Thing, which is about something really similar. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned, we didn't intend on these to be um, comparative episodes. We just kind of accidentally chose two metafictional books in a row. Yeah. Um, but they work really well as but, comparison books. Yeah, they do. And The Great Good Thing is, I think... Um, it is it is about like larger themes and about kind of an overarching concept of who is creating art like the 
reader, the writer, mm. or the story itself. Who does it belong to? Yeah, whose is it? Death of the author. Death of the author. <laughs> and, um, and it spans so much time. And it's not really about any of the little dangers that the real people are getting into. It's really about the characters' perils. Yeah. Um, whereas this book yeah. is about characters that can that are flesh and blood, can interact with real people, can like beat them, kill them, destroy them. Um, They're corporeal. And about the immediate problem that arises because yeah. of that, as opposed to taking this bigger look like, well, what does this mean? Yeah. Um, and I think it makes sense that it's the beginning of a series and you can tell that. Um, but the great good thing is the beginning of a series as well. Um, and it felt pretty contained. I don't know. They're very different books, but but they have a similar approach to there's the, the basic twist of like the characters are out here. They're doing stuff. Yeah, they're these are different realities rather than the book being a static object that exists in this reality. I think another cool difference is that the great good thing is so mental and mm. this is so physical. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is of, all about like the bodily threats against you by your own artistic creations. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Whereas in The Great Good Thing, you know, the characters are like going in your dreams and your memories to like help suggest things to you it's and they can't like, actually touch you. Metaphysical. It's much mm -hmm. more like um, Madeline Langley. Totally. Because it's like it, tithing. It takes place like in <laughs> yeah. the human consciousness. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Whereas um, this very much takes place like concretely in the world, not in thoughts. Yeah, but there, but there is also an immediacy to it that I really like, and it's a great adventure. Um, it, it is also something we were talking about before we started recording is how funny, um, I don't know, we're really curious about the film adaptation. Uh, and I, I can see that it does not have good ratings. Yeah, not a great Rotten Tomatoes rating, but, but I'd still like to watch it. Yeah, and I'm pretty curious about it. One of the things that we thought, made it a difficult to adapt book is that um so much of the uh, the events are taken up by like being imprisoned by lying in wait and hiding um by like anxiously plotting out different things and also by the main characters being separated from one another yeah. um, because the whole group the group as a whole has some great characters i love eleanor who Eleanor's we'll wonderful. talk about more yeah <laughs> in more eleanor's in wonderful uh i know you didn't like dust finger or he creeped you i guess i'll just say i didn't dislike him but him and Farid and Gwyn together I thought were like a pretty winning trio I, I always felt like Dustfinger just had like an underlying angle that people around him weren't mm -hmm. in tune with and I and I it think it's because he he's so torn out of his own reality like yeah. he just doesn't belong anywhere with anyone yeah yeah so maybe that's why he made me think of the worm man from pathologic <laughs> Um, because he was just like, wow, why is no one talking about how weird this is all the time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Are you going to put a picture of... I was going to say, I don't know. I feel kind of cursed after you showed it to me. So I don't know if I want to put it on our website. Pretty cursed looking man. <laughs> I'm going to try to draw a picture of him. <laughs> Maybe you can put that we'll on put the website. Put that on social media, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's no, it is it is a very different, very inventive and uh, altogether compelling but not necessarily a super fun book. 
Yeah, in most books, the prison parts are like the waiting and planning part, but, you know, and they're not the action bits. But in this one, a lot of the action happens like while imprisoned. Yeah, and it's hard to... And it's not very (laughs) action-y. It's also really hard to like be continually thinking about this 12-year-old girl who um, is being put into like a windowless cow shed. Yeah, it's a kids in mortal peril book, which always is stressful. Yeah, there's and there's like gross intimations of like future sexual threats yeah, against her yeah. um, when she's old enough which, and just like really disturbing stuff. That was like the most uncomfortable to me. But the the villains are, I mean, they feel like real villains. It's funny, too, because they don't feel like they're from a book. They yeah. feel like they could exist in, yeah. uh, in our world. And maybe that's why Dustfinger is so different. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've come across a few Dustfingers in my day. <laughs> but they weren't actually um, wandering around with trained Martins in there. Well, Gwyn isn't trained, but... Gwyn is semi-feral. Well, I would say sentient, Martin. Okay. Like, he does seem to have, like, too much intelligence for a rat. (laughs) For sure. Um, And then the other... Well, the other tragic... But then ultimately, kind of heartwarming character is Fareed, yeah, um, I like who Fareed. I, I also really like, and um, comes out of a story we don't know which one, but it's from One Thousand and One Nights, and it is something that has to do with thieves, and he clearly was like just a servant to the thieves, yeah, yeah. Um, so his whole life has just been like doing work and getting. Yeah, so he's, Um, like, not altogether unhappy to find himself in a new reality. Yeah, and he just, he's so, uh, like, joyful in learning new things um, and really takes to to Gwyn and Dustfinger and learning about fire and stealing stuff, Mm -hmm. but for good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he, like, memorizes the entire village pretty much as soon as they're there and finds secret hiding spots and stuff. And he's, like, an ace in the hole, you know? Yeah, no, Fareed is the rogue. Like, he's good to have. I think it's time for animals. Animals. Just, like... Animals in this book. book. The primary animal in this book is the lovely horned martin, Gwyn. It's a good name for a a horned martin, too, I feel. I love the name Gwyn. I would name a child Gwyn. (laughs) Everyone would always be confused and be like, Gwen? No, (laughs) Gwyn. I'm named after a martin. (laughs) I I had a a very common American name uh, my whole life, and no one could get that either. So at least Gwyn Um, has less letters in it. I mean, technically, you have a French name. (laughs) my French sound, I guess. Because <laughs> you have the French spelling of the name. No, which, no, it's which true. Which also throws people off because they don't know Madeline or Madeline. Right. So I think it's more likely that they'd get Gwyn's name correct. <laughs> <laughs> One can hope, you know. I mean, this is coming from someone who has a monosyllabic name. And as I said to you the other day, often manages to sign my emails Grack Gorse. or Garce. <laughs> so. Grace. Oh, well, that's the normal spelling. Um, yeah, Grace is what one of my theater directors called me in college just to piss me off. <laughs> it was a priest, right? No, that was in high school. Oh, okay. Father Ross referred to me by my proper name. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Gwyn is 
an appealing fantasy animal character because he doesn't just act like a sweet little thing that loves everyone that comes up to him. He acts like a traditional real Martin. Mm -hmm. Like he bites you, he hisses, he wants to run off and hunt and eat like baby birds. Um, Yeah, he's he's a bit bloodthirsty. He's always like a little bloody. And Maggie is always averting her eyes from him when he's returned from a hunt. And there's a line that's like, Gwen was busily feasting on something. Maggie looked. Maggie looked away. Didn't want to see. Um, so, and a Martin is a type of weasel, right? <laughs> you know how good we are at understanding and talking about weasels <laughs> and badgers. True. I guess badgers are what we have a uh, a bigger problem with. Um, yeah, no, it made me think of um, Redwall. Let me just pull up the Martin taxonomy. Um, the Martins constitute the genus Martis within the subfamily Gulaninae in the family Mustelidae. I'm really sorry about these pronunciations, anyone who no, it's is okay. in biology. You're teaching people. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, people also ask, is a Martin a weasel? Yes, a member of the weasel family. The answer is yes, a Martin <laughs> is a weasel. So that makes sense. Weasels are predators. Um, I encourage all of you to just quickly Google Martin. The pictures are really cute. They look so angry, but so fuzzy that it's just a really magical combination. I'm Googling it. Martin. Marteb. Well, I sent Madeline a picture of a Martin yesterday that I asked to serve as Gwinspiration. Oh, yeah. I can pull that one up. But I want to see what the Google says. Um. And the other great thing about Gwyn is that Gwyn kind of has a, uh, Gwyn shows who is trustworthy, like takes a little temperature check essentially. um, Does an ocular pat down. Gwyn likes Maggie and Gwyn likes Fareed and takes to um, like sitting on Fareed's shoulders. Very cute. Yeah. So Um, he marks people that are good. Constantly throughout the book, everyone's saying, like, if you don't see Dustfinger coming, you'll smell him because of that <laughs> disgusting creature of his. Some, some stank. Um, so that that's entertaining. They do look angry because they have those little vertical lines. Yeah. They <laughs> so have they little like angry, they have angry eyes. eyes. <laughs> yeah, built in. Very good stuff. Oh, that's really cute. Um, and Dustfinger, who, as we've mentioned, is... Isolated from his world, deeply uncomfortable in the one in which he lives, sad, <laughs> generally very depressing, um, gets to have this little piece of home yeah. in Gwyn. Yeah, so I'm glad that Gwyn came with him. Yeah, I did have hopes that Dustfinger's bag was just filled with animals <laughs> at the beginning of the book because of the way Mo was talking. <laughs> yeah. And when Maggie sees like a nose peek out at the beginning, I... Did have a brief moment where I was like, is it a little menagerie bag? Yeah, I thought at first that he might be like a beast master mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. yeah. So have a bunch of cute little animals. Yes, agree. I thought I thought that was the direction we were going more than a fire breather, fire master. Um, but nonetheless, Gwyn is exceptional. Other animals in the book, um, we have the dogs who's they're supposed to be attack dogs but and hunting dogs but their noses have been spoiled by all the cheese that dustfinger feeds them (laughs) pretty cute i mean if there's one way you gotta go it should be through overconsumption of cheese yeah if you have to make friends with dogs like give them cheese (laughs) 
and it does finger, you know, to varying degrees of success, evades and charms the dogs um, who clearly are mistreated by Capricorn's men yeah. um, and treated well by Dustfinger and by his little cheesy tidbits. So good job, dogs. Cheesy tidbits. <laughs> um, and I guess this is more, I mean, they're a magical creature, not an animal, but it the the fairies are interesting in this. They're because they're not like little tiny humans necessarily like Dustfinger catches them and like puts them in a jar. Like they're a little more like bugs. <laughs> mm, true. You know? Yeah. The Well, I mean, technically, yeah, not animals. I wouldn't say. I guess in um, Zelda, I put fairies in jars too. So who, who am I to talk? The fairies in Zelda are very, an uncomfortable concept if you look at them too closely. Yeah. Because in Ocarina of Time, you have Navi, who is like your best friend and can clearly speak to you. She's, she's clearly as sentient as a human. <laughs> and yet you spend the whole game catching and bottling fairies to use their bodies to save you. Yeah, and they disappear after they heal you, which also gives me a little bit of uh, jubilees. Dark stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we get a fun investigation into different fantasy lore versions of fairies yes. in this book. Because, because Tinkerbell is because Tinkerbell's there. Um, but I really like And there's how- also some like Disney dissing um, because Maggie talks about how like she shouldn't just look like a like cute little lady in a green dress. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's supposed to be, yeah, mischievous and difficult. Yeah. And I mean, I know that she's uh, like many Disney characters, pretty beloved in certain circles, but I've always hated Tinkerbell. So I liked that in this book when she showed up, <laughs> she was just kind of like a tiny weird jerk. <laughs> Um, yeah, and and she's so contrasted with the uh, more like rudimentary fairies from the Inkheart book world, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which yeah are a little like they don't seem to have speech and seem to be like a little more wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretend food, pretend food. The pretend food horn rings out over the kingdom. <laughs> There's some good food in here. Yeah. Um, it is at times a hungry book. Yeah. Um, it is pretty much completely a quest book, except as we mentioned, the part that reminded us of Thief Lord, which is when they're in a coastal Italian city eating large ice creams, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I'm just always going to sign up for. Also want to give a brief shout out to listener Kelsey, who after our last episode on The Great Good Thing sent us a recipe for French drinking chocolate that I will be making this weekend. Um, It's rainy, it's cold, it's unpleasant. Put some chocolate in my body. Yeah, I should make drinking chocolate. It's pretty straightforward. We'll put the recipe up on our website with this episode, too, for anyone else who might be stricken by that fancy, which should be all of you. Unless you're homework. Allergic to chocolate. Unless you are dairy intolerant or otherwise chocolate intolerant, it's okay. So the first mention of food in the book, which I enjoyed, um, is Mo talking to Eleanor about aged and rare books and Eleanor says believe it or not I actually found a dried up slice of salami used as a bookmark (laughs) in one of the last books I bought um, which is very cute this is like a tangentially connected food moment but 
one of my favorite quotes from the book um, is right at the beginning when we're getting into Mo's like deep and abiding love for books, mm-hmm. um, which is you know thick throughout this story, and which we can all relate to. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're here. And Mo is talking about Maggie's little book box that he built for her where she keeps her most beloved books and stories that she's written. It's pretty cool. And Mo says, if you take a book with you on a journey, an odd things thing happens. The mm. book begins collecting your memories. And forever after, you only have to open that book to be back where you first read it. It will all come into your mind with the very first words, the sights you saw in that place, what it smelled like, the ice cream you ate while you were reading it. Yes, books are like flypaper. Memories cling to the printed page better than anything else. Which I love the yeah. concept of a book as a living, uh, gathering thing. Because it's very true. That really struck a chord with me too. It made me think about like what books I would choose to bring on vacations and like I know what books I would take to recess so I wouldn't have to talk to the other kids. It's okay. They weren't trying to talk to me anyways. (laughs) So I wouldn't have to stand silently by the door. (laughs) Yeah, nobody was lining up to hang out with us. Let's be clear about that. Um, yeah, my book for the bus, my book for in my desk at school, um, books for vacation. Yeah, we always we would often have trips where there'd be like a long drive involved mm-hmm. and we yeah. would like I would bring my pillow and then also fill the pillowcase with books. So it was just like this <laughs> lumpy, unpleasant oh sack. I remember putting things in my pillowcase too, but the pillow would still be in there. No, exactly. Yeah. It was like, well, this part's a pillow. This part's my treasure trove. I, I have all I need. Those were like our traveling bags. Um, there's also some, uh, kind of mockery of Eleanor's cooking and they eat some subpar meals in her kitchen. Um, it's, it's like generally, you know, bread and cheese and stuff. Um, and Gwen gets to eat some ham. (laughs) Maggie's all around nose emerged from the pack snuffling in the hopes of more (laughs) delicacies. (laughs) Which, uh, yeah, that's basically me when someone offers me uh, a bit of cheese. Get into the bag. (laughs) My nose emerges from the bag in which I live. (laughs) And I snuffle. So when they're in Capricorn's imprisonment, they do get fed. Um, They get bread and olives and pasta smelling of fresh rosemary. um, All of which sounds delicious. And they're in Italy at this point, so I'm sure the olives and olive oil are local. Um, Nice. There are some sad, like, abandoned olive groves and orchards throughout the book, too. We're in olive country, baby. Then we come to an important piece of food that I know Madeline will relate to. The cake with all the chocolate chips eaten out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Felt like a call out. (laughs) Because growing up, if we had something tasty that had some element that was more tasty than the other elements Madeline would eat the tastier element whether it was frosting um, chocolate chip cookie dough bits out of ice cream uh, cheese mix out of macaroni and cheese boxes I just don't see why you would eat the non-flavorful part when you could have pure max flavor (laughs) Um, yeah, but that that was really cute. It was a cake that Finolio had baked and his 
grandson Pippo had eaten all the chocolate chips out of and didn't seem to have consequences <laughs> with that either. Benolio's grandkids are such little like agents of chaos. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of bouncing around and uh, keeping Maggie occupied. And it's because of them that Basta finds Maggie again. That is true. Um, but thankfully, they're all safe in the end. I did worry about them. And one of the, yeah. like we've said, these like unexpectedly violent parts of the book is yeah. when Basta is like throwing Pippo around um, and abusing a small child. Yeah, there's a lot of child danger in this book, which is stressful. Well, I think it's ways in which I feel like Cornelia Funka is bringing the story that they have brought people out of to life in the real world, Mm. where it's like these characters behave in this really heightened way because they're from a fairy tale. And to us, it feels pretty horrifying because this is set in our world and is supposed to, yeah, people are supposed to be behaving in the ways that humans typically behave in our world. Um, But then there are these like outsized villains that uh, are trained to behave the way they were written. Yeah. We get some more good pasta at Fanolio's house. Supper was pasta with sage. Pippo and Rico picked the bitter tasting green bits out of their sauce with disgusted expressions on their faces. But Maggie and Paula enjoyed the flavor of leaves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's like a slightly odd translation moment or something more intentional, but well, I like the um, phrase enjoyed the flavor of leaves. It, it was evocative. I do not enjoy the flavor of leaves. <laughs> um, tastes like not food to me, but tastes like not food. But I'm glad that, you know, all viewpoints were represented here. You don't like herbs? It's okay for there to be herbs in the food, but I don't want to be chewing them. Like the flavor is fine, but mm-hmm. the like the you know, so you'd like essence of herb without the pre- the physical. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like belief. processed food so much, Grace. Because <laughs> it's all mashed up, put in a hot dog casing, and then <laughs> just suck it down. <laughs> oh wow! Just suck it down. So our final pretend food moment is. Very evocative and melancholy, and it involves Darius, who's another super sad character on that Yeah, list. Darius is a huge bummer. Highly ranked in terms of sadness. Um, and Maggie has been given tasty foods in her final imprisonment by Capricorn because she, at that point, is more valuable to him because she can read things out of books, and he's aware of that at that point. And she's brought some fruit, And Darius is there to try to help train her to read Mm. things out of books. And he sees an apricot and is trembling and like, oh, please, can I eat that apricot? Um, It's a huge bummer. And uh, he says, tentatively, he took an apricot and put it into his mouth as if he thought he would never in his life taste anything so delicious again. Good heavens, it's only an apricot, laughed Fenolio. Not exactly a rare fruit in these latitudes. And Darius says, whenever they shut me up in this room, they gave me nothing but dry bread. And they took my books away too, but I managed to hide some of them. And when the hunger got too bad, I looked at the pictures in them. The best was a picture of apricots. I sometimes sat for hours staring at the painted fruit with my mouth watering. Ever since then, I just can't control myself when I see apricots. That is bleak. <laughs> Attempting to literally feed oneself with books. Yeah. Um, 
is a tricky thing to do. I thought he was, when I first read it, I thought he was going to say that he like ate the pictures. <laughs> no, Darius had some restraint left. Yeah. <laughs> Better to feed the eyes. Is it? <laughs> All right, that's the end of pretend food. <laughs> Madeline won't allow me an ounce of whimsy. On to Badass Lady Meter. Would you like to go first? Gwyn is a boy, huh? Yes. Although we've established that that's not a barrier. We can we can badass lady whoever we like. No, I'm going to have to give mine to Eleanor. Um, I respect her a lot. And uh, I hope that in my old age, I get to spend all of my time and money pursuing my uh, passion collection. <laughs> and uh, I uh, give her... A whole new library with replacements for all of the books that she lost. I, I think I also have to give my rating to Eleanor. Um, <laughs> Double Eleanor. When we yeah. do this, Eleanor <laughs> times two. Because she's such a unique character. Yeah. I love that she is initially established as bad because she hates children. But then, like we mentioned earlier, the point of view quickly shifts. And we see the book from Eleanor's perspective. And she shows that she likes Maggie and mm-hmm. that she reminds her of her niece, of Teresa. Yeah. Um, and... But but at the same time, Eleanor is like very much governed by anxiety. Yeah. And I think she has some hoarding tendencies. She seems to want to acquire every book yeah. in, in some ways. No, for sure. I think it's beyond just trying to amass a valuable collection. Yeah. I think there's something deeper there. No, definitely. She also had a really sad childhood um, because her father was obsessed with books, but to an extent that he could not care about or spend time with yeah. his children. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of the only love she's really known is from the printed page. Yeah. And she's, yeah, she she is forlorn at times, but then also very resolute. She keeps trying to fix things. Yeah. And like up against Mo, who, like we mentioned, kind of just washes along with the tide yeah eleanor Um, feels much more she's much more action oriented agency yeah yeah and she never really loses it even though she's been put into this really outrageous situation um and i like at the end where she's like in the cell like going to be executed and she's like sassing her captors i know like i was like yeah eleanor like good Good strength. <laughs> yeah, and, and repeating to herself, like, don't let them see you scared. Like, mm-hmm. don't show weakness. You got this. No matter what happens, like, you're Eleanor, yeah. baby. Yeah, which is, like, so great. I really liked that beat. And she also gives Maggie a lot of comfort when Mo has been kidnapped and separated from them yeah. um even though she you know says again and again like she never wanted kids and she's not great with them necessarily but she still, like her actions show that she's quite willing to step up when needed for sure and she and maggie have a lovely relationship in the end and they're all going to go live at her house yep. together yep um and eleanor also like learns to recognize that she does a appreciate having other people around and that she had been feeling lonely about going home mm-hmm. to her books alone. Yeah. My rating for Eleanor is uh, the 
time and confidence to put a new wardrobe together because it sounds like she doesn't really like her clothes. Totally. You're right. If she was down with wearing what she generally and others refer to as like shapeless or ill-fitting garments, fine, whatever. And like, like you don't have to wear fashionable clothing or anything like that, but she seems like she would be more comfortable in something that's a little bit updated. Yeah. And it, like, made her sad when Maggie told her that she was, like, dressed like an Yeah, old that she looks like an old woman because of her clothing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, shopping spree, baby. That's yeah. my rating. Yeah. So I think that wraps it up for Inkheart by Cornelia Funke. Um, thank you to the many listeners who requested this and reminded us of this. Um, it was fascinating to reread i know this is one of our um maybe like darker episodes Mm. but it's a surprisingly dark book yeah yeah (laughs) and uh and that's cool you know i'm i'm down to try embrace the dark baby different types of ya fantasy a lot of babies in this episode from both of us we're in the mood baby if you'd like to see some of the uh, links, images, whatever we've referenced um, during this episode, it will be up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We will also put up pictures of our cover on our Instagram, Dragon Babies Podcast, and Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod. Our next book that we are going to cover is Ronya, the Robber's Daughter by Astrid Lindgren. Um, if I'm mispronouncing Ronya, we'll fix it by the time we record. <laughs> Maybe. (laughs) Maybe it'll be a different wrong way. Well, that book is beloved by my partner and his family um, because it's a Swedish author and they're all Norwegian and they grew up loving Astrid Lindgren. Um, I mean, she's so massive in Sweden. Uh, She there's an Astrid Lindgren like theme park, essentially. Um, Yeah, she wrote Pippi, Pippi Longstocking. Um, okay. okay. And, and the Pippi books were really, really, really important to me, but I have never read Ronya. Um, this was a listener request and we're excited to check it out. So come back soon for that. We're, we're kind of getting back on a regular episode schedule again. Post holiday. Two, up, two ups a month. We're trying our best. <laughs> so we'll be back sooner than you think. Baby. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>